Hello, and welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. As always, I'm the host, Sean Boyce, CEO and founder of Staff Geek. I would like to welcome our guest to the show today, Andrew Bernstein, who is the Talent Acquisition Coordinator at Propeller. Andrew is a people and operations professional who has worked in the life science space as well as the hardware and software industry within drone mapping. He cares about people. He loves helping startup organizations succeed, loves his wife and five pets. Another great passion Andrew has is his love of sports, whether it be watching his Boston sports teams, playing tennis and pickleball competitively, or analyzing individual players and strategy in football, baseball, and basketball. Hello, Andrew. How are you? And welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm great, Sean. Thank you for the intro. I'm doing really well. Uh, on top of all of that uh, sports stuff, we've got the Celtics game too coming up uh, tonight. So very nervous for that, but overall doing well. So excited to be here. Awesome. Do you stay competitive do you, enough to uh, get involved with all the uh, fantasy leagues and things like that as well? Definitely. So I'm in a couple of fantasy football leagues. I don't do fantasy other stuff because like baseball, for example, it's way too much to follow. Um, I think one one kind of day for the most part per week is enough. But uh, have a work uh, fantasy football league and a kind of like college friend one. Both aren't doing too well after week one, but you know, always hopeful for the next one. So we'll see. How that goes. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. And we have an exciting topic that we want to talk about, which in particular, you have a lot of experience in, of course. But before we get there, it would be great if for our audience, you can give a little bit more information about your background and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing today. Yeah, definitely. So just starting with relevant points, I've always loved people. Um, and I knew from an early age that I wanted to work in some kind of industry where I'm dealing with people constantly. But of course, uh, the concept of recruitment is not really one that's drilled into like a middle schooler. So I wanted to be a professional athlete starting in, you know, probably first grade, and that wasn't going to be realized after a certain point. But uh, studied economics in college just because felt like it'd be great for business knowledge, um, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And it's sort of a, uh, a starting point for management or business in general with working with people um, and really just fell from college into recruitment just literally via a job fair, which are uh, extremely useful tools. I think I was referred to this particular company by a friend I had at BC, but um, had no knowledge of recruitment, no knowledge of recruitment within pharma, biotech, medical device, which is what I got into. Um, but it was pretty easy to learn from the get-go. And as long as you know people, which will be a theme of our conversation today, um, that's certainly the right industry for you. And of course, can be cutthroat, can be a little bit um, challenging with some of the inner dynamics and offices that we'll touch on. But I think overall, it's a really rewarding industry. Um, Started in agency recruitment within that life science space. Uh, eventually, after being in that space for three years, wanted to move internal and also move from Boston to Denver, uh, where I now work internally at Propeller. And we'll touch on that quite a bit more on this call. But uh, very different than the pharma biotech world. And internal recruitment has a lot of differences from agency. Again, will be probably a theme of this call, but that's uh, a little bit of how I stumbled into recruitment, if you will. Excellent. And thank you for providing the background. As you mentioned, had a lot of experience in recruiting and in particular, uh, excited to kind of introduce the topic we want to talk about today, which is something that uh, you're very passionate about, which is taking a consultative approach to recruiting. There's obviously some more specific things we want to talk about with regard to that. But if you could, can you give us a high level overview of what you mean by taking a consultative approach to recruiting? Yeah, definitely. So um, there are a lot of different meanings behind consultative. So I'm glad that you uh, are kind of keying in on that word because it depends on what your perspective is as to what the agenda might be behind consulting. Uh, what I really mean by that approach is 
not just working with candidates for the sake of A, filling a job, B, maybe filling it very quickly, C, just appeasing whatever hiring manager you're working with, or um, getting some kind of commission check depending on if you're working an agency or not, but really trying to make the best possible fit for both parties involved. Of course, you being either a third party or acting on behalf of one of the parties have certain stakes in it, but and we can't be naive of that fact, but you really want to understand both a client or hiring manager's needs, um, values, uh, overall working style, as well as what a candidate is looking for in order to make sure it's a good long-term fit. So it's all about uh, not only just making sure that you have success beyond the short term, but also other ripple effects that go from there. We can definitely dive into a bit of those ripple effects as I know it's a theme of our conversation today, but from a high level, just making sure you are making the perfect match between both the candidate and the employer. I'm glad that you quickly mentioned kind of the candidate component to this experience because I feel that that's often missed in recruiting. And I know it's a huge complaint from candidates who are out there looking for jobs, going through that process. So it's always encouraging to hear that. And I know we have some exciting kind of metrics or results to speak about your experience in having deployed this philosophy. And in particular, the one that uh, is pretty powerful is you've described for me previously that since you've been with Propeller, you've yet to essentially lose a single person since you've joined the team. So I, I would say that's incredibly powerful, right? I would love to hear from you more about what you would attribute that to in terms of how you've been able to achieve that to this point. Definitely. So first off, um, I would just point out, as I'm sure any um, great professional in general would, that it's a team effort. It's not just based on how great the quality of the hire is or uh, how well you cared about the candidate during the process and made sure it was the right fit. It's also about uh, the onboarding has to be great. The overall company culture, values, mission statement need to be well aligned. Um, the company needs to be doing well in general from a business perspective. So there's a lot of different factors in it that I certainly cannot take credit for that I don't have to do with. Um, but in terms of what I can control, I would say some of the main things have to do, again, on that theme of making sure that propeller and the particular position opportunities are the right fits for the people applying. So I think that's a bit of a no brainer, but I think a lot of people just don't really care about that aspect in recruitment and you really need to, otherwise you're going to put people in the wrong spot. It'll be a bad hire. It'll make no financial sense and they'll leave after two months. Um, making sure that a candidate is well informed as well about what they're really getting themselves into. So you need to be honest and upfront from the beginning about in depth, to as much as you can, what the position entails, what will be expected of you, maybe a little bit depending on the role of, okay, 30, 60, 90 day sort of expectations. Again, that can really depend on if it's a critical hire, um, maybe at a VP level or a typical hire. So we can dive into that in a bit. Um, but that's a key portion. I think also uh, making sure that any either red flags or potential things that come up during the interview process are um, accurately and quickly brought to a hiring manager's attention. It's not always, I think a lot of recruiters think, oh, you know, uh, this is a bit of an orange flag, let's say. I don't want the hiring manager to say no off the bat. Maybe I'll wait till the end to tell them once they fall in love with the candidate, or maybe I'll just brush it aside. You never want to do that. I think give your client, if you want to call them that in this case, the benefit of the doubt, they know what they're doing, they know what they want. Um, if it's something that they're able to look past, after just the initial conversation, then 
they will. Uh, and if it's not, then it's good you didn't wait till the very end because it's going to be a showstopper regardless. So on top of just honesty being a general <laughs> good thing to do, I think being transparent actually does benefit you and not waste your time as a recruiter in the long term. Um, but really, I think all of those are just factors that go into why those hires were the right ones and why we've seen uh, no one leave that's really been hired since uh, COVID hit and a little bit beyond that as well. Well, I'd say it certainly sounds like whatever you're doing is working. So <laughs> we're here to learn more about that so other people can kind of also capitalize on that opportunity to be more successful with their recruiting efforts at their organization as well. So having said that, there's a concept we talked about before that you refer to as the top grade interview. And yep. my consensus in terms of what we talked about before was that it really focuses on this concept of fit for both parties. If you would, describe for us more about what you mean by that, how it works, and how someone might go about implementing something like that themselves. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, just as a general theme here, I'll go into as much detail as I can about why we do it the way we do. I won't go over exactly what the questions we have looked like just because I, I highly doubt this will be the case, but we just kind of keep those confidential for future candidates who might be going through the process. But uh, again, I, I doubt that would be a, an issue anyway. Um, but just to be safe, I'll do that. So uh, just to kind of rewind uh, to give context on our philosophy on the interview process, we want to Make sure, of course, that you know technically it's a good fit on both sides, values-wise, soft skills, it's all around fit. But we are also aware of the fact that um, some people are what you would call professional interviewers. And I know that's a really uh, loaded couple of words to put in there because it almost is like you're accusing someone of maybe being dishonest or whatnot before really seeing any proof of that or whatnot. And, uh, and I'm well aware of that as I say it. That being said, I've seen firsthand people who are great at first impressions, great at the first couple of impressions and really are different people <laughs> behind the camera, if you will, and then really um, do not meet what they said they could do in the job or don't have the work ethic they promised they had and whatnot. So of course, you can only discover so much during, let's say, a three, four week interview process. You can't learn someone's entire life story and everything about them. But uh, beyond reference checks, which are probably the second, in my opinion, most helpful identifier of any um, life things you need to know about, the top grade interview, and I'll just speak for myself, why I think it's important versus Propeller as a company. I think it's really important in understanding thematic uh, or just general themes of someone's professional background. And it can also tie into a bit of how they are as a person and what they really value beyond just, okay, um, here's what you can do from previous roles. We've had challenges where you've completed them, done well. You say you've liked your experiences at fill-in-the-blank startup, but here we're really getting more into the weeds of, okay, uh, what were your managers like? Like, let's hear a little bit about your thoughts on them. What might've been their thoughts on you? Uh, what might've you done differently in previous roles if you could wind the clock back? Uh, what um, would you say was your most enjoyable experience at fill-in-the-blank company or least? And through these kind of leading questions, we really want to uh, give a candidate the room to just speak their truth on whatever they feel they would like to, to answer, but also just, you know, pick up on, okay, their tone, um, how excited they are to answer certain questions, uh, what that answer literally is in terms of, okay, does it match some of the really high level ways you talked about that company or a particular individual previously in the process? And by us asking a lot of these questions, I think candidates get a feel for what we're really looking for. Um, 
what we're really expecting, what we really want in candidate for this role or for Propeller as a company. And again, speaking for myself, not Propeller. And generally, I think it's a great opportunity for a candidate to ask follow-up questions to our questions to kind of interview us at the end too, because an interview process should never just be about what the employer wants and just grilling the candidate on questions. It should be a, a two-way street to make sure it's the right fit. So I think I can elaborate on anything you'd like on that, but through the top grade interview, which is roughly 90 minutes at Propeller, we really can get a final good fit for, okay, we had this person let their guard down. They talked a little bit more from a personal standpoint. They are who we thought they were, or they're not who we thought they were in terms of red flags as well. And then also, is it just the right fit from both sides? You get feedback after top grades, I'm sure, at some companies where it's like, well, maybe there is a little bit more risk involved with the startup life, or maybe I didn't realize all of these things that they would really want from me based on the questions that might not be the right fit. So I think that's really valuable to get at the final stage. Thank you for sharing that experience. It sounds very comprehensive, which is impressive, right? Because I can tell that you've gotten a lot of value out of building this process the right way for Propeller, right? Then I do have a follow-up question, of course, and it's, it's related to... So our HR and recruiting professionals out there, obviously crazy busy always, right? So there's, there's, there's never enough time to go around for the work that they do and the work is very important. They, I, get the, I get the value of prioritizing the candidate experience from the perspective of like moral and ethical concerns and things like that. For those out there that have so many different competing priorities for their time, can you talk a little bit more from the perspective of the business case on why you should prioritize the, the, essentially the candidate experience, but the individual going through the process as well too? Because I think especially for not even perhaps just the HR and recruiting professionals, which may be closer to you know their subject matter expertise and world, but for the business owners out there or anybody who's listening and wants to know more about why the, they should prioritize the individual or candidate experience because of what it's going to mean ultimately for an impact on their business. Since you have this perspective, can you talk a little bit more about this topic from that perspective? Yeah, and that's such a great question. And there are so many different directions I could go with that because, uh, well, I'll, I'll just jump right into it and hopefully just stick to a couple of key points and not talk everyone's ear off for three days, which I probably could on this topic. Um, but I think to begin to answer your question, it's why the concept of a human resources or however you want to call people ops business partner came into play in the last however many uh, years versus just a classic HR manager or whatnot title. Not that those don't exist, but it better highlights um, some of the underlying goals and OKRs of the people in operations or human resources department. And I'm speaking very broadly. This is not propeller specific necessarily at all. So um, I think the two key points, again, not to talk everyone's ear off on your question, would be A, looking at it from the candidate experience uh, point of view and what they might say, and we'll dive into that in a minute and how that could affect the business, but B, maybe even more importantly, um, the even though I'm a positive person, you do here want to focus on avoiding the negative effects of a bad hire, which I can kind of jump into. So those are the two main themes. So I think starting with the first, uh, you want to have a great candidate experience. Number one, just the right thing to do. Why, why would you treat someone poorly who literally either took the time to apply to you or respond to a, an outgoing thing? You should be 
you know, kind, respectful and whatnot to anybody, but like, especially someone who is showing interest in your company, do not blow them off, no matter whether they're the right fit or not. Uh, just give them the time of day. Number one, I think is a, a key thing that most people miss. Um, beyond that, you want to make sure that especially for the candidates that you don't hire and especially for ones that go later in the process that you don't hire, that you have a great experience for them the entire way because you never know if they're going to work out and if they don't, who they're going to talk to about how the experience was for them, especially if they're already a little bit heated from having to go through four interviews and not making it to the fifth or the final one. And again, this is not propeller specific. It's for anybody. Uh, so there are lots of potential, again, avoiding negative effects like poor glass door reviews, poor word of mouth, uh, general conversations, um, refusal to ever refer anyone who could be really great to that company in the future, uh, refusal to apply themselves later when maybe they were actually a really great fit. They just needed another seven months. I'm making something up of fill in the blank experience and they could be considered for a role. Now they'll never apply again. Um, you know, they, word of mouth can make its way to potential investors or others uh, in the general industry that now have a different perception of you. Potential customers could hear about it. So I go on and on, but there are lots of reasons why, um, from just a business perspective, as your question was, why it makes sense to give the best possible candidate experience. Now, from the uh, general, I think to answer your question of why it's important to focus on this process too, from a business perspective, if you don't get the can experience right, a lot of things could go wrong, but one of the biggest things is that you'll make the wrong hire either because um, you rushed it or you as an employer and recruiting professional weren't paying enough attention to you know, fill in the blank during the process or uh, the candidate just wanted to work for whatever company gave an offer first and again, you didn't do all the due diligence, you just gave them an offer. Uh, if you make the wrong hire, it's so much more costly on average than if you just spent more time recruiting for the right person. Uh, that could be from a general just wasting of time and resources perspective when it comes to the onboarding, not just the first two weeks, but let's say the first three months of someone's onboarding, um, a buddy system. If you have uh, an, another senior member of your team mentoring them, that's a lot of hours that they're taking away from other things they could be doing. Um, you're not spending, you're completely pausing most likely on any time that you are going to need to spend to actually fill this position with the right person. So let's say after two and a half months, the person quits or gets fired, you're now back to square one. You just lost two and a half months, which is very expensive for the business. They're also not getting the job done in whatever capacity that they were hired for. So every job is important. It's going to be not just a cog in a wheel, but it's, it's some major impact, especially the smaller the company is. So again, crucial, <laughs> crucial things lost there. Um, and I could go on and on, but it's part of why I like to think of human resources or people in operations as a crucial business partner um, for other reasons too that I'm sure you might dive into. But one of the big ones would be uh, reducing the overall not cost of goods sold, but kind of bottom line loss when it comes to even salary bans. So I know that wasn't part of your question, but it's something I always think about on the topic of business partner, human resources, because you need to make sure you're doing all the research you can and not just throwing numbers at different positions and putting them in there because it could really add up over the, the short term, even in terms of what that bottom line and, and being in the red looks like versus green. So I, I know I went on a bit of a tangent there, but I think that's just one thing I, I always is on my mind when it comes to the business partner part of that. 
No, that's fantastic. And that's exactly what we're hoping to do realistically. <laughs> so it, it's excellent to hear you articulate all of the, all a ton of the reasons that it's incredibly valuable to prioritize the candidate experience. And one such example, which would be taking a component of that, which you mentioned is, I'm almost thinking of it from the perspective of like, you know, obviously the, there's a goodwill component, right? But you described it well too, when you started talking about the word of mouth about your organization and the kind of experience candidates have had there. I have heard some candidates that ultimately didn't end up getting a job at a particular organization say some really flattering things about companies that treated them with respect throughout the process and gave them some type of feedback constructively if it ultimately wasn't a fit. And it's yeah. incredible how something so small like that can have such a big impact. And then they tell someone and that person tells someone because everyone's had that experience. I've had that experience as a candidate. Everyone has, right? Where you put your, submit your application, then it seemingly goes into a black hole. Who knows, however, longer or later, you may or may not get a call. If you do go through the process, you know, supposedly you're waiting to hear back from them. Sometimes you never do. Or if you do, you get a simple rejection with no justification behind it, not a phone call, an automated email, whatever. There's a million ways the process can go wrong. So like yep. you said, it starts to make a lot of sense when you lay it out the way that you have in terms of here's all the valuable reasons why you should prioritize that process. Exactly. Yep. I could never recap it better myself. So precisely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for that. Um, there's ton more that I would love to talk about there. Among them, HR is a business partner. I love the fact that that is a, a continually, uh, continually developing trend, I should say, which is awesome. And I think business owners and you know those that are running organizations are, are starting to see the real power behind uh, giving HR representatives, uh, recruiting team members, the ability to contribute from the perspective of serious value add to the organization from a business perspective. Uh, another opportunity, in my opinion, to really further differentiate your organization, right? We're always looking to remain competitive as we're running our respective businesses and keeping them healthy. But the more you prioritize this investment, I mean, your team is everything, right? So the more you can improve any and all of these processes, the better your organization is going to be as a whole because you're only as strong as your team is, right? And how good of a fit that is and how healthy your culture is and for a million other reasons. But I love the fact that you called that out because that is an important component. And it's something that everybody should be taking a hard look at, right? If you're thinking about HR and recruiting, anything different than a true business partner that can offer a tremendous amount of value to the organization, in my opinion, you're just doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, um, agreed. But there's something you said as part of that response as well too, that I wanted to ask you more explicitly about next, and that's Glassdoor and ratings and reviews, right? I hear this from time to time, organizations want to improve basically the ratings and reviews that they're getting on platforms like Glassdoor. Based on our previous conversation, uh, it's your belief that there's strong correlation between you know, what your ratings on a platform like Glassdoor may ultimately be and how much you've prioritized the candidate experience. So you feel that there's potential there for like unlocking the true power of like getting healthy reviews and ratings on platforms like that, specifically related to the candidate experience. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So companies can get a better perspective or idea in terms of, again, some of the tangible benefits of investing more in this process. Yeah, so I think uh, plain and simply, though I can elaborate further, just the simple math equation of you invest more in candidate experience, you literally, it will correlate directly with a higher 
review on fill in the blank website like Glassdoor. Um, it, just so I know as well the right path to go down. Are you more curious for everyone hearing this to know uh, the best ways to invest in candidate experience? Why it's generally just important to invest in candidate experience, or kind of both? Just so I know which avenue. I would say both. Um, okay. I'm, I'm happy to pick, but I, okay. I obviously want to hear both. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Well, I think just starting with the latter because it's kind of more high level versus in the weeds. I think uh, it's, it's the effects of investing in candidate experience. Um, the, the best way I can put it is people remember how you made them feel versus what you said to them. I'm not the first person to ever come up with that. That's, you know, a, a tried and true cliche statement from life itself. So I'm not trying to claim that quote, but it's always stuck with me since I was a little kid because it's just so accurate. You know, I, the first time we spoke was two weeks ago and I felt great after the conversation. I obviously remember certain things from it, but I couldn't, you know, verbatim go over most of the exact points we made, but it was a great conversation and that's exactly my point. So I think as long as you are um, being transparent, being consistent with your follow-ups, being very communicative during an interview process, uh, making sure a candidate just feels valued as a person, which is such a simple thing to really do, but goes a long way, uh, no matter what the end result is, and as long as you explain reasons for why you're not advancing, if that's the case, uh, more often than not, not only will they just be positive with you, which has always been my experience, I've never had a candidate come at me, if you will, from a rejection, but I've had lots, you know, and this is, I won't do propeller only specific, but either write a review or um, send an email to my manager explaining how great the process was. And those things just feel really good or writing a, a little thing on LinkedIn or even just personal, mostly it's personal text calls or emails just about how the process was. And while that isn't public, that's just what you live for. Like if you're in the people and operations world and you don't get uh, a high, if you will, from people appreciating you for just, I don't know, respecting them or generally giving them great experience. Like, why are you in this business? I mean, that's, that's of course, like the bottom line matters, being a business partner matters. I want um, a company like Propeller to really succeed and go to the next level. But ultimately, I do what I do because I'm really passionate about people. It's not, it's not a secondary or tertiary thing for me. So I think when it comes to that other part of the question, what you can do to really enhance the candidate experience, uh, some things would be for those who maybe it hasn't been a focal point or you're looking to improve on it yourself, I think just a first thing could be take a step back from your professional setting and just think in life in general. Um, this could be more specific to me, but I do think it would help anyone. Like, how are you with your follow-ups? Like, how are you when it comes to uh, how often you check on that grandparent or um, how how much do you really know about your siblings if you were to step back and think about the last time you chatted with them how how much have you really helped a friend in need who recently discussed some major hurdle publicly or privately to you or a small group and are you checking in with them like what, what does that look like so again i could be going over the line here for some people who don't want to mix personal professional type of stuff but i do think that kind of reflection will help you realize maybe some gaps in how you're working with your candidates. And I really do think, at least for me, uh, how I am at work is similar to how I am with my personal connections, if you will, whether it's family, friends, whatnot, uh, networking. And 
it will just translate well into your work life. I think if you just get in the habit of as bad as habit is to say, because it sounds like it's going through the motions, it will, it's like putting on a seatbelt after three weeks straight when you're a kid. My parents always said, if you do something 21 days in a row, uh, you'll never forget to do it again. And I literally have never forgotten to wear a seatbelt since then. So it's just a habit of getting into those routine checkup. And once you do, it'll be smooth sailing from there. Um, one thing that I think, uh, organizations could invest in a lot as well. And I think Propeller does an excellent job with this. It's just focusing more on the empathy uh, portion of just generally running a business. And that's not just a recruitment standpoint, but it's how you care about your employees, um, how you are when working with customers, et cetera. I think the larger a company gets, it's almost like a, a bell curve in my mind. Like you don't focus it when you're at 10, 15 employees, it's all about product and sales. Then you kind of focus on it a bit. You build out your operations team. Then you get so large, uh, not to name any particular large companies to, to give them a poor name in my opinion, but then you almost lose sight of why that's important because it's more just like, well, we're trying to be number one, uh, most profitable and fill in the blank industry. We don't really care how you feel at that middle management level back in Chicago when we're headquartered in LA or something like that. And that's of course the wrong mindset, but it's one that I think companies fall into at a certain point. And I think remembering frequently what is most important to the business from that values mission statement perspective will really trickle into your hiring process, your internal processes, et cetera. Uh, I know that that's not anything particular in the weeds when it comes to certain action items, but I think I intentionally leave it that way because you just have to start thinking in that mindset, which anyone can do. And then everyone is so different that I, I wouldn't want to tell someone how to be more empathetic or how to um, how, how, like tell someone how they should be communicating. It's more just do that reflection. And then I think each individual will realize how they can best go from there. I, I know that that sounds vague, but I really do believe in that approach. I think it's great advice and it's it's stuff that people can get started with pretty much immediately, right? So um, thank you for sharing it. And obviously, thank you for being here. I love geeking out about this topic. I'll <laughs> certainly have you back because there's plenty more to talk about. But yeah, that, that's why I know I know we only have a limited amount of time. So I'm trying yeah. to refrain from going into No, that. it's okay. We'll have plenty of time on the next <laughs> episode to dive in even further. That's what's exciting about the process. Um, so thank you for being here, Andrew. A couple questions I have before we let you go. First one yeah. is, what resources, if any, would you share with our audience where they can go to learn more about either this topic or anything that you might recommend for people um, in the industry? Yeah, so I think a couple of things that come directly to mind, and sorry if I don't have them all uh, off the top of my head, I can always send some links later. One would be um, the book Emotional Intelligence by, I think, Daniel Goleman. That is just a general great life book, not particular to recruitment in general, but again, about understanding people, about understanding yourself, reflecting a great, a great read for anyone who is in this business, but then generally who just wants to improve on their EQ. I think it's a, a myth that people think that you're just born with a certain level of EQ, just like IQ, and that you can't improve it. That is just not true. In my personal experience, I've gotten better when it, when it comes to that topic. I think I've witnessed others really develop in that same arena, whether or not they're reading that particular book. So I think it's definitely, I think you can improve on. Um, another interesting resource when you bring up this question, uh, again, I like to tie personal, professional, and, and all things I'm uh, passionate about. I love books that are about 
something, like it could be a sports-related thing in this case, but are really about a greater meaning of life in general. One book that really highlights it that I read recently is called Bear Town. It's by, I think I just looked it up just a second ago when you said that, it's by Frederick Bachman. Um, you don't have to be into hockey to read it. You don't have to be into small towns to read it, but it's just a, a classic example of um, a book that really makes you think about greater aspects of interpersonal relations, even though the whole book is centered on a bunch of 16-year-olds competing in uh, a countrywide junior hockey league championship, but it's about the nuances of their small town now being off the map. It's like one of those old mill towns that doesn't matter anymore, at least to people who aren't from it. There's a lot of pride in the community, but there's also divide between the haves and have-nots. And it's just, again, books like that where it can really make you think about meanings beyond just the thing. Like with Candid Experience, it's not just like being nice to someone. There's so many other ripple effects from that. Just think about that. Um, and then the the third thing would be, I'll have to look this up to send you a resource, but there are a couple of great venture capital uh, sites that I often go on for people ops advice because we're in that Series B stage at Propeller. Um, that gives some great uh, articles to not just general HR-related points, but especially to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I know is not the topic of our conversation today, but is, of course, a very... Um, has been a very relevant topic for pretty much forever, but has been even more publicized, if you will, recently. And I think that is a great resource I could send you just for people who want to uh, take the initial steps to learn more about why it might be important from a business use case and not just why it's important to, to treat people you know, fairly. That's not the point of the article. It's, it's trying to explain how you need to go about as a business this long-term plan when it comes to it versus you know, short-term, just trying to meet some quotas or whatever some companies might misguidingly do. Thank you for sharing those resources. I'll get those links for you to include, but that last one in particular, very excited and encouraged by all the activity in the space there. Um, we're trying to do our part as well too at StaffGeek to help companies with these challenging problems, but it's for all the right reasons, right? There's just like so many exciting initiatives currently underway to pursue those opportunities for diversity and inclusion. Uh, I'm excited for the future, realistically. So thank you for sharing a resource related to that as well. And yeah. uh, last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Uh, uh, who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Well, I think in the spirit of my overall theme here, when it's coming to being open-minded and whatnot, really anyone can reach out to me. Um, but I think uh, in particular, those who are probably more in the talent acquisition space than uh, purely HR, not because I wouldn't welcome anyone from purely HR, but I'm primarily focused on the talent side. So I'd probably have a lot more fruitful conversations, if you will, on that versus trying to give someone who's currently a VP of HR advice. I probably would be learning from them uh, more so than <laughs> the reverse. But the best way to contact me is mostly via phone. Um, it would be helpful if I just gave out like phone number, email address, stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Absolutely. Whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. So yeah, my personal cell is 310-502-4098. I'd say uh, text phone calls are the best. Um, second would probably be uh, personal email. So it's uh, first name, last name, Andrew Bernstein, except the last E is actually a three. The Andrew Bernstein was taken, so I had to be a little creative there, uh, at gmail.com. So Andrew, B-E-R-N-S-T-3, I-N, at gmail.com. Excellent. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing that. We'll link all the resources and the contact information in the notes. And also thank you for being here, sharing your experience uh, with both myself and our audience. 
Yeah, thank you, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure. Excited to have another one of these and then, uh, you know, to hopefully watch myself on this recording at some point and not be too self-conscious about <laughs> facial expressions and whatnot I make. So always <laughs> slightly anxious about that, but besides it, very excited. Thanks for listening to this episode of the People Analytics Podcast powered by StaffGeek. If you or anyone you know is a leader in human resources or talent acquisition and would be interested in being a guest on our show, please reach out to me at sean at staffgeek.com. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at staffgeek, S-T-A-F-F-G-E-E-K.com. We would love to share your valuable knowledge with our audience. At this point, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, StaffGeek. StaffGeek helps companies hire smarter by increasing retention and combating turnover, all while reducing time to hire. They do this by creating a customized behavioral assessment around your company's unique culture. Armed with your fit tech assessment, you're able to evaluate which candidates are the right fit for your company's culture. Start hiring smarter today with StaffGeek. If you'd like to learn more, reach out to StaffGeek at hello at staffgeek.com or visit them on the web at staffgeek.com.